And welcome back to the ALG podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you made it through episode zero, I'd like to officially welcome you to episode one. My name is John Arpino, and I'm joined today by my co-host, my co-captain, my second-in-command, JK. We're both at the same level. I don't like this intro anymore, so we're not using it. We're going to use it anyways because it is authentic, it is real, and my name is David Roden, a.k.a. Mr. Fit D-Rock, or as other people will say, Fit D-Rock. I've got Rock. I say it like that. I yeah, do. Fit, fit Duroc. My, fit my intention was D-Rock for David, but yeah. I mean, we're just going with the flow with it. And uh, that's the biggest thing about this podcast that I think is going to be very, very fun is we're just going to be authentic. Yeah. There's not going to be a lot of cuts. There's not going to be a lot of chopping things out. It's just going to be, we're going to have a conversation. And so I'm, I'm excited to uh, start episode one here with, um, with John's story. I think it's a great place to start where it's um, obviously when you are learning from people, when you are taking advice from people, you do have to understand there is a level of authority mixed with results. <laughs> like you can't teach something, you can't teach someone you've never done yourself. You've never right. experienced yourself. And so, um, that's where this podcast is really going to start off with. And so John, I'd love to have you just kind of share your A to Z story. Um, and in the process, I'm gonna ask some questions and we're just gonna chop it up. Okay, cool. Uh, so for those that don't know, my name is John Arpino. I am 27 years old. I live in uh, New York. Um, at my highest weight, I was about 510 pounds. Uh, growing up, I was, well, first of all, I was born with uh, very severe asthma as a child. I uh, swallowed my meconium at birth. I was in the hospital for two weeks after I was born in a uh, intubator. And, uh, you know, starting out my life, it was just a struggle. Um, with the asthma became steroids from steroids just was weight gain. And I just didn't care. Um, you know, when I got up to 500 pounds, that's around the time that I lost my grandma. So I was just disgustingly depressed. I hated life. I didn't care anymore. I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, I was spiraling out of control. I was working in the nightlife industry at the time. So I was going out, I was drinking, you know, every single weekend, I was staying up to all hours of the night and I was just eating disgustingly. Um, and I really lost control and I lost in touch of who I really was. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. In 2015, I almost died in my house. I code blued in my house. Uh, I had a massive asthma attack in front of my whole entire family. Um, you know, when paramedics arrived on the scene, a uh, paramedic looked me straight in the eye and said, I'm so sorry. Uh, no one on the scene was ALS certified, so no one could administer epinephrine. For those that don't know, epinephrine is adrenaline. It would have opened up my lungs and probably would have saved my life a lot quicker than what was going on. So in that five minutes that I am in the back of an ambulance, I'm just, you know, going in and out of consciousness. I'm looking up at the clock on the wall and I'm just praying for a second chance. I'm praying to my grandma, I'm praying to God, I'm praying to whoever you believe is out there. Please just give me another shot. So about an hour later, I wake up on a BiPAP machine in the hospital. I've been given that second opportunity. And from that point on, I knew that I had to own up to my mistakes, take life by the balls and do what I had to do to change my life. Um, I enrolled myself into a pulmonary rehab facility, which was basically just a rehab facility for older folks that had been in car crashes, you know, had a stroke, had a heart attack, and it was just to kind of get them on their feet again and get them going. Um, you know, a big story that I use a lot that really sticks out in my mind, just to show how bad of a place that I was in. There was one particular day where I was on the treadmill and I really did not go on the treadmill, especially, you know, at my weight. So to the right of me, I had an older woman. To the left of me, I had an older gentleman. And no joking around, they had to be like 80 and above. 
and they're cruising on this treadmill. Like they are doing at least four to five miles an hour. And then there's me who is not even breaking, you know, a mile an hour and I'm gasping for air. And I'm just like, this is not going to work anymore. Like this is, I'm not going to make change here. Um, so from there, that's when I decided that it was either put up or shut up in my life. I could either wallow and, and, and feel bad for myself and continue to go to this place where I knew that I would have no motivation, you know, in the long run to change my life. Or I could take that leap of faith and I could join a real gym, you know, quote unquote, real gym. So that's what I did. I joined a local gym by my house uh, where a lot of people I went to high school with went, a lot of people that I knew went. And I got myself a personal trainer. My personal trainer, I actually went to high school with. He was a year younger than me. We were what you would call hallway buddies. So I was an Italian. He's an Italian. And we would just say hello to each other during the school year. Like, hey, how you doing? Like, how was your Christmas? How was your Easter? How's everything? How's your mother? How's your father? How's your cousin? Good. So uh, we developed this relationship over time where, you know, it wasn't just a, you know, a client trainer relationship. We kind of built a brotherhood. So, you know, me and Steve have been, Steve's been by my side literally since day zero of this journey, you know, actually going to a real gym and working out. And he's the one who taught me accountability. He's the one who told me, you know, you could say as much as you want that you're going to do as much as you want in the world, but unless you actually do actions behind it, they absolutely mean garbage. They don't mean a damn thing. So he's the one who taught me how to stay accountable to my actions and to my words. So if I said that I was going to do an hour of cardio a day, you bet your ass Steve was on my back about doing the hour of cardio a day until it was just drilled into my mind that if I said something, I had to do it. So that's kind of just the beginning of my journey. Um, that's kind of how I started. That's, that's, that's crazy. Cause it's like, um, we'll go into obviously my experience of, of my transformation um, in a, the next episode, but I do find it fascinating because you and I had such different situations that brought us to change. Right. Um, I think that is fascinating because I didn't have a near death experience. Right. I, I didn't have that. I mean, there's plenty of people that do have that situation. I wasn't one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's very fascinating how that, how that kind of, well, came you're one of me. the lucky ones, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that is a, a thing that a lot of people haven't go through mm -hmm. is they have their, um, near death experience that kind of just, jars up their whole perspective of what am I doing myself? And well, here's the thing. I, I think that sometimes um, you need to get to your lowest absolute point in order to make real change. Not saying that it always has to happen because like I said, you're a perfect example of not needing to have that near death experience, not needing to necessarily hit absolute rock bottom in order to change your life. But I feel for a lot of us, uh, mainly us stubborn ones, we it, seriously, I, for as long as I've been doing this, I've been on this journey for five years now. Whenever I talk to people, it's always individuals that are really like myself, the ones that are really stubborn, the ones that did not want to believe that they were in the worst condition of their life, that it takes that near death experience, that absolute worst moment in time to slap them in the face and say, Hey, what are you doing? Like, mm -hmm. come on, bring it back together now. Like we're people here. Like you need to, you need to get your life together or you're not going to be here anymore, my friend. And that's, that's that turning point. Uh, when you realize you've run out of all options, when you actually realize that you're on the edge of that cliff and that little gust of wind could take you over, that is when you're going to make the most change. In my opinion, absolutely mm -hmm. my opinion, that is when you're going to make the most change. And, and that's what helped me make the most change. When I thought that I had really run out of time, 
Now, don't get me wrong, David, there has been times in my life, and I am not proud of this, but I have looked death in the eye more times than I am proud to say. But that one time when that paramedic looked me dead in the eye and said, I'm so sorry, I knew I'd run out of options. I, you know, I remember the look on my, on my family's face when, when he said that. And I just, I remember a rush of guilt um, and like a rush of like disappointment, disappointment in myself because a lifetime had happened. You know, I was, I was 22 years old at the time. So that's a long time of never changing your life. Like that is a very, very mm -hmm. stubborn, miserable, long ass time to continue to feel bad about yourself and not do anything about it. You know, that's depression. That. Go ahead. What, um, cause you say you up until like, obviously I'm in the same ballpark. We, you don't, you don't gain 150 often for the vast majority of us, you don't gain 150 pounds in a year. And it wasn't some just singular event. It's, it's Correct. a habit and ritual over a long period of time that creates mm -hmm. your situation. Correct. And so when you looked at your poor habits today, when you mm -hmm. looked at the way you were justifying your life, then what were the primary reasons for it? it made like me feel when, good. What was that? It made me feel good. Okay. Eating made what, me feel what good. Made you feel good. Eating whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, made me feel good. It made me feel like I was in control when I really wasn't in control. Um, don't get me wrong. I don't want anyone out there to feel like, oh, well, you know, your family could have stepped in and done something quicker. No, they, they couldn't have. Um, they would try. Don't get me wrong. My family is not an evil, evil group. They would try. Um, but it takes the power of you in order to actually want to do something. Um, you know, 100%. I was enrolled. I was enrolled in Weight Watchers. I did Weight Watchers at 12 years old. I was on the South Beach, uh, the South Beach diet at 11 years old. Um, I was one of the kids who saw um, those commercials for the uh, Lean Cuisines and all the, all the Jenny Craigs and stuff like that. And I wanted to do that. There's no mm -hmm. reason why a 12-year-old should want to be a Jenny Craig. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was in the same position. Yeah, bro. I, like, I, I saw the Stacker 2 commercials as a kid, and I wanted to take drugs to lose weight. Like, 100%. What the fuck? I was, like, well, what is wrong with me? Literally, I mean, I was in the same, same ballpark there. It's like, um, especially in the, the high school days when you see it as so brutal, Right. I mean, my dad being a doctor, I mean, right. he, he had the resources to whatever I wanted, I got mm -hmm. um, anything that supported me. So it was like, if I wanted um, the, I got a Bowflex, right. we had an indoor basketball court in our house <laughs> and a gym, full gym that's, in our house. That's crazy. I know it's wild. I tell you what, when, when I played anyone that knows me from the high school days, so our indoor basketball court was like a half court. Yeah. Um, and then it was like a sunken, um, so it was like a big, pretty big gym. And then half the gym was sunk in another like five feet down mm -hmm. to then have a full, full uh, basketball court or half basketball court. That's and I could bank it off of any wall in any corner and swish it almost every single time. Because I was a shooter because I obviously couldn't drive the paint or anything. Right. And when we played pig or horse at my house, it was so funny because I would beat everyone because I'd go off the corner of the house, ceiling, swish, <laughs> and then boom, 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 in. And, uh, but just going off that, just the idea of, I was, my, my dad had me going to a dietitian, all this right. kind of stuff, doing whatever, um, to, to do to help. So yeah. yeah, I definitely get that. Bro, I've seen the dietitians. I went to the nutritionists. I, I, I went to the doctors. I went to the specialists and I didn't care no matter what, no matter what I did, it didn't make a difference because I would agree to do something <clears throat> and 
I would never make the commitment to myself. So I would go to the Weight Watchers meetings and I would sit there and I would listen to, you know, 40 year old women tell their story about how they need to switch up what they make in the kitchen for their kids and their husband, but they have to count points. You know, I, I sat through that and didn't know that pain and didn't care about that struggle. Um, when Weight Watchers was first starting out, I remember they had, they had books about like how to count points when you eat out. I own that book because all I did was eat out, want to eat out. So I would flip through this book at 12 years old to be like, okay, well, if I eat, you know, three slices of pizza from Pizza Hut later, it's this many points. And if I, you know, go to KFC at some point, it's this many. And I didn't care, mm -hmm. you know, like I was still taking the shortcuts and not staying accountable to what I was doing. I wasn't switching up my diet habits. I wasn't doing anything. I was just existing. You know what I mean? I was just saying that I was going to do something and not do it. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem when changing your life, if you just, if you just talk a bunch of bullshit and you don't believe in what you say or what you're going to do, you're not going to make changes. It's just talk. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause I just, I found that same position where, and it was one of those things with me that, um, it, you, you do this kind of try game. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had that experience where Oftentimes, especially when people hit me up on social media, ask me questions. I'm trying this. I want. I, I I'm gonna try it this time. Right. That that trying just destroys you because it's yeah. like, I, I was in the same position. It's, it's never. It's never a try. Trying yeah. is just allowing yourself to have an out. Yes. It's like exactly. It's like when you actually make the decision. Where it's like I, I can. I can almost tell before someone even i know someone deeply that if they say they're gonna try to do something i'm like oh yeah they're, they're in trouble yeah but as soon as they say hey i'm doing this there's a whole different yep I, me having connection with them because i'm like yep i can see where they're at yep there's no commitment when you try mm -hmm. you know what i mean that that one that one word in that sentence try no 100 percent. there's no trying I'm getting, I, I, I do my best to get that, uh, that word out of, out of my dictionary and vocabulary because it just, it's an excuse that allows you a way out. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's an excuse word that gives you a scapegoat. Hey, I'm going oh, well, to try P90X for a little bit. Right. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. You're going to do it or you're not? W right. Which one is it going to be? I'm going to try to give up pizza. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, two days later, you find them in a pizza hut, you know, just scarfing down two, two, uh, uh, what is it? Stuffed crusts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I got the salad bar. But I got the salad and a diet coke and a diet coke. <laughs> oh, Those this, were the days, this, this is a, this is a little, little quick tangent. But I will <laughs> never forget going to a Taco Bell, dropping like eighteen dollars in Taco Bell, which is savage. Eighteen dollars in Taco Bell is absolutely savage. You're looking and at then a ordering a diet coke. coke. Like, and then ordering a diet coke. It <laughs> Now, when I, I used to order like a, an iced tea to make myself feel better. <laughs> oh, I love it. Because I, I, don't, I don't do bubbles. <laughs> I don't do bubbles. So then, yeah. So, so you obviously at that point um, transitioned to going to a, a, a quote, Yeah, so then at that gym. point, yeah, I was going to a real gym. Um, I was going five to six days a week. Um, I was working on my eating habits. Totally cleaned up my eating habits at that point. Um, I like to say that I went on a mock keto, my own little version of ketogenesis or, you know, however you say it, but, uh, that's what I did. Um, I cut out carbs for about two years. So this is, um, the beginning of 2016 at, at this point. So I cut the carbs, um, going to the gym, you know, five to six days a week. I drop about 80 to 88 pounds at the time. 
So I'm about 488. Um, at this point, I'm still getting the asthma attacks because I'm heavy. You know, I'm heavy as heavy could be. Um, so I would lose a bit of weight. I would have an asthma attack. I'd end up in the hospital and I'd be put right back on steroids. So whatever weight that I was losing, I was just automatically regaining. Uh, you know, I was put on a steroid called prednisone. I didn't, I didn't touch on that before. Prednisone either stunts your growth or it makes you gain weight. So I'm six foot five, didn't stunt my growth. And I was 510 pounds at my heaviest. So this, this drug, you know, I was on it for 13 years straight. This was a drug that you're not supposed to be on for more than two weeks at a time. So totally messed up my biochemistry. I was putting on so much weight. I had moon face all the time. Uh, at that point, my doctor looked at me and he basically said, listen, John, if you want to have the success that you're looking to have, and if you want to get off some of this weight, you're going to have to put um, you know, gastric sleeve surgery into consideration because what you're doing right now is a double-edged sword. You're going to continue to lose this weight but you're going to get sick. You're going to end up in the hospital. I'm going to have to put you back on these drugs and you're going to gain whatever weight you lose back. So it was not really something that I wanted to do at the time. Again, I had this huge stigma, like a lot of us against um, weight loss surgery. And I didn't really know at the time, the hard work and the mental conditioning that went into having a procedure done like this. Um, I was one of the people who thought it was a silver bullet. You know, I was one of the people that thought you're going to get it done and, that's it. You're, You're good. cheating, man. You're cheating, you know? You and just get surgery and everything is just sunshine and rainbows. Exactly. And it's not. <laughs> it's not sunshine and rainbows. Uh, but it was something that I had to consult with my family. Uh, you know, I come from a very old school Italian family who believes that you need to leave this earth the same way that you came in. So, you know, getting three quarters of your stomach removed was just not something that they were happy with. But at the end of the day, I needed to do it to save my life. Um, so I did, I, I, I went through with the procedure, totally changed my uh, viewpoints on it after, you know, during, during it, excuse me. Um, you know, you have to relearn to eat. There's, there's a whole two to three week liquid diet. You have to go on right before you get surgery. Do you know what a mental headache, a, a mental obstacle course is from going to eating as a you know 480 pound human to now suddenly you can only have liquids and jellos clear liquids and jellos for two weeks that would be brutal two weeks that would be brutal yeah you're allowed protein shakes yeah what, was, what was your go-to in that whole bit oh my go-to was uh diet peach snapple because uh diet snapple kind of counts as a water there's really not a lot in it um, so diet peach snapple, some, some diet, ra uh, raspberry snapple, and then, uh, butterscotch protein pudding, some sugar-free butterscotch. butterscotch protein pudding noted noted. Yeah, dude, I, I'm a butterscotch fiend anyway. Okay. So yeah. So, um, and that's what I ate for two weeks and some cherry jello. Jell that was it. The, 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 I can't tell you the amount of times I went up to my refrigerator and just opened it. Stuck my head in, looked at everything. Took a big sniff. Took, yeah. <laughs> mentally ate everything. Mentally. <laughs> Shut the door. I was just like, all right, I'm going to do that again in five minutes. And uh... <laughs> the, the savage, uh, you, you, I mean, obviously different, but same concept. The, the viral video of a guy going, the diet plan. You, you sniff a slice of pizza and you bite an apple. Yeah. <laughs> hey man there was a while where in the beginning i would uh i do the old uh chew a little bit just chew it don't swallow it don't swallow it don't swallow it spit it out just to get the taste of something okay yeah 
You got to do what you got to do. But that's that's the big thing. You got to do what you got to do, and you figure out strategies. I I love the fact that different people have different strategies based upon their strengths and weaknesses and what yeah. they're trying to do. You could come up with hacks and strategies and for anything. It's mm-hmm. just you know if you're willing to put in the work. Hundred um, percent. And that click of the the lifestyle change. That click of the decision that I don't know what strategy I need to implement. I don't know if it's Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, if it's P90X, I don't know what it's going to be. And it's all different for all of us. And it's different for everyone because everyone's seen success in different ways. Like there's nothing wrong with, with Weight Watchers. There's nothing wrong with any of these programs because that's what they work and they have sustainability behind them. But the biggest thing is that the decision of lifestyle of health and happiness has to be a pivotal point in it. Right. And uh, it's, again, it's that, that word that comes back around every time, no matter how much you don't want to hear it in the beginning, but it's accountability. Mm-hmm. You can do anything. It's just, if you stay accountable to it, you exactly. know, you, there's no doubt in my mind that there's somewhere out there. All right. Do you remember back in the day, the Greek, the grapefruit diet? Where you, oh, just, yeah, 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 yeah. where you just ate just grapefruit all the time. That was like the one thing you ate. And I think you ate trigon broth with it. Oh my you gosh. can lose a massive amount of weight with that. Mm-hmm. No problem. The problem is you have to stay accountable to that diet. Mm-hmm. You could go in your backyard and probably, you know, grass and dirt and live off that for a while, but it, it, you stay accountable to it. You're going to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. It's just, you have to say what you're doing and follow through with it. Exactly. And you could do literally anything. And that is, that is like the, the wall that I feel like all of us that grew up obese have that problem with is just going through that wall and realizing, Hey, I really can do anything that I put my mind to, mm-hmm. but I'm scared. And when I get scared as an obese person, what do I do? I eat. I control what I can't control. And if, right. I, if I eat, I know I'm going to stay overweight so I can control that. But the eating makes me feel good. So mm-hmm. now I'm trying to lose weight. I can't go and put my emotion into eating. So what am I going to do? That's why we all fail because we don't have that backup. Mm-hmm. We don't have that other hobby that we can look at and say, okay, well, I'm taking away the eating now. So here goes the eating. Now I need to grab this. And this is what's going to be my new fixating thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we, we develop such a relationship with food and we develop such a relationship of being able to have whatever we want when we want that when it's time to take it away, we can't stay accountable to those things because we become addicted. Mm-hmm. And that is another story for another day. I feel like <laughs> we can have a whole episode on how obesity and, and food addiction is right up there with, you know, drug addiction and stuff like that. But that's why change is so impossible. Well, mentally speaking, impossible to make at the beginning because we're so addicted and we're so used to having that out again, mm-hmm. that scapegoat. You made me feel bad. You told me I was fat. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat that fucking chocolate cake in my refrigerator and I'm yeah. going to feel good about myself because I'm still it. fat. Right. Yeah. Because I own it. Because I, I own it. And that was the same thing with me. It's like, I feel like so many people within, especially the, I mean, obviously they're not everyone, but, but this, there's so many people in the fat group that become the funny fat guy to yeah. fill that position mm-hmm. and they own it. It's That's like, I. That was yeah, I. I was I was the funny fat guy in my group too. I yeah. I, <laughs> I gotta tell the story. Go ahead. I was so savage. Like, we all want to be who we think we are, right? Like, and there's something to be said mm-hmm. where it's like as soon as as soon as you implement because it makes you feel good in the moment to implement that you're the funny fat guy or you're the fat guy of the group. 
and you own it, it there is a certain level of in my opinion like solace in that you feel yeah. good about it because you know because you are at least attaching yourself to something right i was so savage in my being the funny fat guy doing the random stuff that i my freshman year of college i created a new trick it was a magic trick and this is gonna blow your mind and i used to take people's cell phones like we'd be we'd be at like the cafeteria or whatever uh -huh. eating and i used to take people's cell phones put them right in front of me on the desk or like at the table and i would i'd would make them i'd wait i'd slide it over and they wouldn't notice they'd see their phone so like whatever and as soon as they look away i'd pull up my shirt with my man boob i'd flick out my boob grab the boob, grab my the phone underneath my boob suck back and not and not without ever touching with my hands their cell phones underneath my boob and i walk away wow and they'd be like hey bro where's my phone i'm like i don't know i didn't touch it <laughs> So, David, how much were you making on college on stolen iPhones? <laughs> I was so savage. I look back at it now. I'm like, and the, the funniest part was, it is crazy because my man boobs was by far the most hardest thing I struggled with mentally yeah. with my body. Yeah. Like, I feel and that yet I, I used that, that as, a, as a tool mm -hmm. to, at least at the moment, control it. <laughs> yeah. It was fascinating. Because you made the decision to bring it out. Exactly. You know what I mean? exactly so like, that that's what it is it's 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 different it's a it, it, it's an ownership thing mm -hmm. you know i can make fun of me as much as i want it's me exactly but the you second you start to make fun of me then we have a problem isn't that fascinating how that works? yeah well it's it's a it's a defense mechanism mm -hmm. you know um if i take the ammunition out of your gun you can't shoot me exactly so if I come in and I already walk into the room and I said the first three jokes that came to my head that you're going to say, you have, you don't have a damn thing to say about me. Exactly. And then guess what? I won. I'm the funny fat guy. Sit mm -hmm. down. Keep your, <laughs> keep your comments to yourself. Let's keep this moving. You know what I mean? Like truth. hundred percent. So, I, so finishing yeah. off your, your story here, I want to, I want to, I want to go from the, the finishing off, like the transformation. So you, you had the surgery um, yeah. you, you figured out that it wasn't sunshine and rainbows as no. oftentimes people think it is. No. Um, so from that implementation point, you did your, your standpoint of like a semi keto diet. Yeah. Um, so, so at do? this point, so at this point, um, so I got the surgery, I got the surgery in 2016, November of 2016, uh, for those really quick that don't know what, you know, gastric sleeve surgery is. If you were to take your stomach, hold it from end to end, if, if you were going to punt it like a football. They cut it into a banana, bang, they take out the bigger piece, that that little sausage piece that you're left with that looks like a banana, that's your stomach. That's the sleeve. They don't actually take anything and wrap it around your stomach and make it a sleeve. Very common misconception. Anyway, so at that point, wake up from surgery, you go through about um, three weeks to a month of just eating mushy food. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, a week ago, two weeks before this surgery, you could put anything in your mouth and your body would physically be able to manage it. Now you wake up and they tell you, if you eat something solid, you are going to feel in pain, the worst pain of your life. You'll probably want to die. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it, right? So I remember waking up and being like, well, one, I remember not being hungry for the first time in my life, which was odd. Mm -hmm. You know, like you sit there. Now, this is when, this is, this is funny because this is when I realized that, that food was the answer to boredom for me. Because mm -hmm. I remember waking up in my house, not feeling hungry, looking around, being bored, and being like, 
you know, I would normally eat now. So I walked over to the refrigerator. I looked at it and I wasn't hungry. And I was like, well, what the hell do I do now? (laughs) And I sat there and I just literally wondered, well, what do people do when they don't eat? Like, this is a real conversation I had to myself in my living room. Like, what do I do right now? Like, I'm bored. I'm not hungry. I can't eat anything in this house. Yeah, I can't eat anything in this house because it's all solid food and I don't want to, you know, shred a breast of chicken right now into mincemeat. Like, what, what do I do right now? And that's when I figured out that it was, it, it, it's all psychological and it's, it's all boredom based. We eat when we're bored. Um, we, you know, we eat to feel good, but we also eat when we have nothing to do. That's just, that's in our obese DNA. Um, and it's, and it's a habit that I had a, had a break just, just with accountability alone. Like I had nothing at that point. Like I just, I had to trust my own instincts and I had to trust that, you know, do you want to make yourself, th- uh, you know, do you want to make yourself sick? Like, how bad do you really want to eat that food is what I had to ask myself because it, it was literally a matter of being in the worst amount of pain in my whole entire life or, you know, not like, do you really want that food? How addicted to that food are you? And then that's when slowly but surely, you know, all these bad habits that I had started to break. So anyway, I started this, this, this diet. It was couldn't eat carbs, you know for the first year of having surgery. So I really wanted the surgery to work. So when I got it, I said to myself, you're going to do everything by the books. So no carbonation, no carbs, no starchy foods, nothing, no potatoes, no, no, nothing. I'm going to have chicken. I'm going to have beef. I'm going to have turkey. And we're going to just see what happens. But I promised myself that I would continue to have cheese in my diet. That was the only thing that was like my little, my little, like, all right, you can have it. But I cut all other dairy, you know? Like I'm Italian. I stopped. You can't yeah. let me get rid of my cheese. Yeah, for real. Like, it's, it's, that's it. Like, you know, Parmesan runs through my veins, baby. Like, that's just what's <laughs> going to happen. So um, I cut out cereal, like cereal and milk. I was a huge advocate of cereal and milk. Oh, but, I go through a whole box at a time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cut that out. I haven't, had, I haven't had cereal, no joking around, in four or five years. Whew. Cereal that's and milk. impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, I cut the pizza, I cut everything, you know, bread, pasta, everything. And then I just, I found hacks, man. Like, you know, I switched to lentil and chickpea pasta because I still, I still need to have pasta. You know, it was awkward sitting with my family on a Sunday during Sunday dinner and everyone's having macaroni and I'm sitting there with, you know, grilled chicken. It was fine. It was better, but you know, you want that little feeling of normalcy. Mm -hmm. So I stood accountable to the things I said I was going to do. And with that things happened. Like, actual real things happened. I remember when I broke my first goal, I had a goal of losing like five or 10 pounds. And I had never been accountable to myself. Like I physically did not know what it felt like to say I was going to do something and follow through with it. And I remember losing that five or 10 pounds and looking at Steve and being shocked, like absolutely blown away that we said we were going to do something within a certain amount of time. And we stood accountable to my actions and positive things came from that wasn't used to that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm really sorry to say that. And I look back at my life now and I'm just like, you know how easy that was? (laughs) Like accountability becomes so easy. It looks like this huge mountain when you're first getting into staying accountable. But then when you realize how easy it is to stay accountable, you're like, why didn't I do this before? Mm -hmm. It's that switch. Yeah. It is crazy. 
and like um it, it was crazy when when the when the try is gone the accountability and just decision is made it, there isn't as much pain and toughness as people think yeah it definitely becomes easier accountability definitely makes your life easier mm -hmm. you know something as simple as writing down your goals makes you accountable you know it makes them real which 100%. is something that i had a huge hard time with um <clears throat> was making things real because you know as a child growing up i was in the hospital so much in school you know during elementary school middle school and stuff that i was probably more present at a hospital than i was in class huh. so but like i have the most shittiest handwriting in the world i'm embarrassed by my handwriting to this day oh i have chicken scratch and i was at school every day yeah <laughs> like i there's days where i look back at my work you know when i write things down at work and i'm just like what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what does this say? But <laughs> as soon as I started writing down goals and making them real, it made them easier to break. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that mind to paper. Okay, this is real now. This is tangible. I could touch this. I could feel this. This is real. When you keep all your ideas up here, it's hard to make them real because mm -hmm. you've never felt them before. You never, you never saw them. You never touched them. Even if it's a brand new car, you want a new car, write down the name of the car, write down the name, the year and everything. Mm -hmm. And I bet you just that little manifestation brings you that much closer to the things that you want. 100%. 100%. It, it is, I'm, I'm in the same ballpark there. It's like, uh, if you if you don't write it down, you don't speak upon it, it's just a wish. Right. It's, not, it's, not, it's not, yeah. It's not reality. Um, so then you get to this point now where you're really starting to create the accountability for it. Um, figuring out new, new nutrition hacks, mm -hmm. um, using lentils instead of just straight carb-based uh, uh, pastas. pastas um obviously focusing on a heavy protein diet lower mm -hmm. carb um that transition period from after surgery to where you are today um how did that look and where are you at now so uh right now i'm down 278 pounds ha hello yeah um so in the midst of my journey i i had made the goal that i wanted to half my body weight so from this so from the morning that i woke up for surgery I was um, 488, not, excuse me, when I started the process of, of wanting bariatric surgery, I was 488 pounds. I wanted to half that weight. I wanted to get myself to 244 pounds. And I did that. I did that, pro I did that within the first year and a half to two years. When I got down to 244 pounds, I looked like a bag of crap, like yep. le legitimate, a bag of, of crap. Um, I was not happy, but that's because I was more consumed about getting off the weight than toning up, which is mm -hmm. fine. Where you know, you're if you're in this journey right now and this is your first time committing and and you're actually, you know, you're trying to lose a hundred pounds, you're gonna get to that hundred pounds and you're gonna feel happy. And you might look in the mirror and you might say, Well, this is not the result that I wanted. Mm -hmm. So Definitely. from you know, 244 pounds, I half my body weight, I then put on 20 pounds of muscle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I put on that weight again and then I leaned out and then I got myself down to like, uh, right now I'm about 238 to 240. So I'm, I'm lower than that goal that I wanted, but I look way better. Isn't that crazy? I have it's, that same it's, situation. It's incredible. Uh, I think there's, there's a picture on my Instagram actually where I compare two weights and in one of them, I'm a higher weight than my lowest weight on my journey. And I look 10 times better at, at, mm -hmm. at, the, at the higher weight. Because we're, we're, we get so so obsessed with losing the weight that we really don't know anything about, you know, the 
put like why the muscle mass is good, why it's good to, you know, lift and, and do cardio at the same. We just don't know. We just, mm-hmm. we're worried about getting from point A to point B, not really, not realizing that there's so many other points that you have to hit along this journey, Yep. which is where I came up with the gains in between. Like you have your starting and your ending point, but there's so many detours and so many non-scale victories and, and so many things that go into getting from point A to point B that it's, it's, it's literally point A, point A1, point A2, point A3, point A4. And it's all, like, it's all about the gains in between. Mm-hmm. You know, the end goal is great, but there's so much beautiful stuff that happens in between those two points that makes it the journey worthwhile. I remember the first time I was able to, you know, fit back on a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like have the, the same story. You're kidding yeah, me. It, you have that? D- oh, yeah. So, oh, my um, gosh. I literally, so, <laughs> yeah, you tell me yours and then I'll tell mine. All right. So uh, my high school, used to, we'd do senior cut day. So all the seniors used to cut school on senior cut day and they used to go to Six Flags Great Adventure out in Jersey. Okay. So I go with all my buddies. We wake up at like six o'clock in the morning. We're going to get there for when the park first opens up. It's going to be a great day. Can't wait. I'm a roller coaster junkie. Um, mind you, I'm like almost 500 pounds at the time, but I'm a roller coaster junkie and I'm going to have yep. the greatest day ever. Same way. So um, we get to the park, we get online. I'm waiting to get on El Toro. I wait on this line, David, for two hours. I'm not joking around with you. I waited two hours to ride this damn roller coaster. I get up to the front of the line, I sit down in the seat. Ugh. I can't fit in the seat. Were David. you in the fat? Do they have a fat seat too? Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah, in the fat, in the fat seat. seat. Okay, cool. Yeah, of course I'm in the fat seat. So I'm in the fat seat, right? I take this bar in front of me and I, it won't close and it won't click. So now two guys come over and they're pulling the, Oh my God, <laughs> I can't so lie savage. to you. So they're pulling the bar, they're pulling the bar and it won't click. And my buddy's sitting next to me. So now this whole ride is held up and they're all waiting to go. The guy finally taps me on the shoulder. He goes, I think you need to get off the ride and you oh, know, wait over there for your buddies. So I literally look around and there's, there's people waiting to get on this ride. And I slowly get up out of my seat and I, try to wiggle my fat hips out of the seat that it's stuck in now and i get off the ride and i wait there for my friends and i walked around the park the whole day not being able to ride anything oh. because i couldn't fit in the mm-hmm. seat it wouldn't close so when i finally lost the weight i made it my redemption to go back to six flags to wait on that el toro line to get on that ride i sat in the front car of that ride and i clicked it on the first time and i rode that thing no joke three times in a row like i explained to the people running the ride that day what the circumstance was and they literally ma- let me not get up that's and I just so kept cool riding. yeah that's yeah. so cool yeah. yeah oh my gosh i mean that, that i mean that's that's the same thing with me where i was like i i have the adrenaline junkiness in me yeah and I mean, when you're 410, yeah, like, yeah, when you're over, how, how, how light did you get before you, how, what was your weight-ish when you got, were able to fit on a roller coaster again? Oh, I had already hit my goal. I didn't even give okay. myself that opportunity. So I was around like 250, 244. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I was, um, it was three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my one of my really good friends Jamie's birthday. We went to Cedar Point. Okay. And uh, obviously, before that point, from from when I was about a junior, sophomore, junior in high school to twenty three, twenty four, I couldn't fit on a on a yeah roller coaster. It sucked. 
Um, and I had been down probably about like a hundred and I was about like 130 pounds at this point. Yeah. So it was probably like 270 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have access to the skin removals yet. No. Yeah. Um, but I get actually, no, no false. It was, this was, this was afterward. Eh, it was close. It was, it was around the same time. Really? Um, and I get on this first roller coaster and I'm like, cause I had that same position too, where I tried to get on one time and it wouldn't click and I had to get off and it, it is humiliating. Oh, mentally messed me up. Oh, brutal. And when I clicked, obviously I still sat in the fat seat. Um, but yeah. when I clicked the fat seat and I fit the euphoric scream of me, yes. literally yes. my buddies all looked back at me like, what's going on? Like, why are you screaming right now? Oh yeah. And I was like, guys, I haven't been able to fit on a roller coaster in almost 10 years. Like you guys have no idea. We haven't even, I haven't even got the ground yet. This is so this awesome. is amazing. This it is amazing. so euphoric of a feeling. I cried. Oh, hundred percent. I was so emotional. Everyone, it's, it's, it's my buddy Jamie's birthday and everyone's clapping at me and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. let's go. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I sobbed. Mm-hmm. I sobbed in the seat and I, and everyone's just kind of looking at me and I was like, you don't understand. Like, 100%. like you said, it was 10 years, at least at minimum 10 years that I was not able to ride a roller coaster. And it's just like, oh, just, just and that, that's what, exactly what you talk about, an uncalculable win. Like, yeah. there's something, and the more you can visualize those wins before they happen, the more real it gets. Because it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge advocate of, like, celebrating and seeing how your life changes in so many ways. And so, like, just being able to fit on a roller coaster again is so incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell just, yeah. Everyone's like, what's the big deal? Like, you well, you don't know what something's like until you don't have it. And then, and then you get it back. Like That's it's just right. like anything or else. Like sitting in a booth at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like I remember walking into restaurants or diners and always being like, yeah, you know, table for whatever. And, you know, please make sure it's not a booth. Or I remember a time we went to, me and my buddies went to a diner. They put us in a booth and the, the person who sat us made it such a big deal to give me an extra seat and made me sit on the end of the table in a regular seat, mm-hmm. but made a, made a, like a whole a show about it. Oh God. Like, and I was just sitting, like I stood there and I was so mad and my friends knew that I was so heated. And then finally, like, you know, this, the scene ended, whatever. And I sat down and my friends were just like, kind of calming me down and consoling me. And then when the waiter came back over to take our orders, he, I, I gave him my order and he hit me with a, oh, that's it? And I swear to God, I saw red for like the first time <laughs> in my life. Oh, and I was going to fight this waiter in this diner. Like, excuse me? Like, yeah, I get it. I'm big. And I'm sitting on the end of this table. But you have the audacity to ask me when I'm done with my ordering, is that it? And then, of course, the fat person in me came out and was like, you know what, motherfucker? No, that's not it. Let me get some pancakes. Let me get some eggs. Let me get a grilled cheese. Let me get a soup. Let me get and a salad. An entire ca- an entire cake. Yeah. Let me get a cheesecake. What do you, you guys got dip me? back there? <laughs> it's going to be a long one, buddy. Strap in. <laughs> and then I'm going to say it's all undercooked. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's savage. Um, the, uh, that's dope. And then, so then, honestly, I do want to transition because we, we, we've been speaking for 45 minutes just on our stories. Oh, And wow. so I do, I would love to... Um, obviously the story and inspiration and making things real is step yeah. one. 
Like people have to believe it's possible. People have to do this type of uh, of connection. Um, But I would love to do at least a couple minutes on tangible teachings, tangible tools. People like say they've gotten this point. Um, they're a little, they want to know what is something that you use that input to implement that really can help someone move forward in their accountability, move forward in their health. Um, take that route. Well, like I touched upon before writing down your goals, extremely important, automatically out the gate. It makes them real. Um, so definitely get a journal or something, just even a notepad something that you have that you know that you have and just write down, just jot down four things that you want that, you know, that makes them real. And speaking what you want into existence is something huge. It's very, something very big that I learned on this journey. Um, when you stop treating things, when you take out the word, if, okay, I was a very big, very big proponent of using this a lot. You know, what if, what if, what if, what if stop with the, what if it's when, change that what 100%. if to what if this happens to when this happens or when it's real you know just that little minute change in your vocabulary makes so much of a difference because you you're speaking now those things that you want into reality and i'm i'm very big on manifesting the things that we want um if you haven't already read the secret because that completely changed my whole life and i still tell people to this day when they ask me oh you know what is something I can read that's going to help me change my life or make me get things that I want? The secret. It's going to teach you how to vocally manifest the things you want into existence. And I know some people think that that's crazy. And some people think that manifesting things is not real. But for me, for everything that I've done in my life, I can say and attest to the fact that everything that I learned from the secret is very real. 100%. Very real. Because I can say from like the science standpoint, like the, the secret in like law of attraction is real on so many different levels, because I can tell you scientifically, scientifically, you can go into what I would like my biomed background. I'm very big into science mm-hmm. um, and the brain and psychology, the reticular activating system, RAS. It's a normal, everyone, it's, it's a scientific fact of the brain that your reticular activating system, what you constantly ask of it, what you right. constantly ask of your brain your brain will start to find because mm-hmm. we have so many things about it. You, 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 you dream about a, a, a red Corvette and it's crazy. You never saw red Corvettes before. Now you see red Corvettes wherever Every you go. Day. Yep. Yep. That's like and getting a new car. You've never seen it before on the road. And then all of a sudden everyone has it. Exactly. And so whether you take it from the esoteric perspective or you take it from the scientific perspective, speaking things into existence to help your brain and to help attract things into your life is, in, is completely real. Yes. Unquestionable. Yes. And that, that's, yo, if, if you take anything from, from this rambling of over 40 minutes, take away the fact that you literally can speak what you want into existence, but it's comes down to you and your accountability to chase what you want in order to get it. Mm-hmm. Speak it, act upon it, receive it. It's that easy. And it goes for everything in life everything mm-hmm. you want to lose weight you want a new car you want to you know you, you want to get out into the dating world and find you know the love of your life someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with think those characteristics of what you want think about that thing think about that goal weight think about it speak about it tell people about it tell everyone about it tell everyone you want to get down to 150 pounds you're you know 30 40 pounds overweight tell everyone hey 
I'm going to be 150 pounds. Watch. It's going to happen. Your brain is going to function now, different. Now, now I'm a trying. I am. Right. I am. I am. No trying. No more trying. No more. I'm going to start tomorrow. No next week. No next month. No. That bullshit stops. Why? You're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. And how comfortable are you with lying to yourself? Because I'm, I'm not. I did it for so long. And you know what lying to myself got me? It got me this close to never breathing again. Mm-hmm. That close to never seeing my family again, that close to not ever seeing another birthday, to not seeing a relative, to not knowing what my future would hold because I decided to lie to myself. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. If there's one person that you can trust in this world, it's, it's you. Mm-hmm. And you need to, to de- develop that relationship again. You need to get back that relationship again. Because I don't know about you, David, and I don't know about anyone else you know, listening, but... I was my own worst enemy. 100%. And I hated me. And I think there's a big difference of hating yourself and, and hating me. Like, I've always looked at that different. Mm-hmm. Um, because I never hated my soul. But I, I hated the, the thing that I had become. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that it wasn't a true testament of who I was. It was a layer of excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse that built itself up into this monster, this depressed, egotistical, disgusting person who didn't care about himself. (laughs) Like, there's no other way around it. Like, you develop this this hatred of, of yourself and you do everything that you can well, you say that you do everything that you can to avoid, you know, continuing on that path, but you continue to lie to yourself and you continue to just get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And then you lose, you lose touch with who you are. And I think a big part of this journey is rediscovering who you are. And that's why it's a lot more mental than it is physical. It's a reconnection with yourself. It's discovering Mm -hmm. who you are again. You know, there's so much about me and my personality now that I never knew five years ago, six years ago. I used to be timid and scared and, and, and not willing to commit to things. Like if this was five years ago, this podcast would not even be a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I would talk about it and I would say, yeah, David, we're going to do this podcast and it's going to be awesome and it's going to be fantastic. We would never be here. We would never have gotten to this point of actually recording something because yeah, I would just talk, 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 talk. Yeah. And there would be no accountability there. So accountability literally is the power of changing your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what it is. It's no, not 100%. anything hard. It's, it's a power source. No, exactly. And then um, from that, so obviously writing down your goals, making it, making it real, speaking it from a position of not if, but when. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one tool would you say that can help? So make, this, make it, make it a, a very functional tool for someone that's trying to really take control of their, not trying, they are taking control of their health, what would be one tool you would recommend to utilize at least that helped you? Uh, It's going to sound cliche, but like an accountability group in itself, Um, you need to find that supportive group, people that are going to keep you honest to what you're doing and to yourself. Um, Steve was that person for me. From Steve, it became my buddy, Joe, who was at the gym with us, someone else that Steve used to train. And then from that, it just got 
bigger and it and it literally manifested into my whole group of friends like my solid core group of friends people that i consider my family my best friends now those are the people that kept me accountable to everything that i said that i was going to do and would not let me back out of it see that was the beautiful part because when when steve told me that i had to do an hour of of cardio no matter what and i agreed to that my buddy joe would do my hour of cardio with me to make sure that I got it done. Even if he already had done his, you know, cardio routine, he would sit there and do his, my whole hour of cardio with me. So I didn't have to do it alone and that he knew and I knew that I got it done. So find that core group, find those people that are going to back up the things that you want and not let you give yourself excuses to why you can't have them. Because, you know, and you're only as strong as like the people around you. I, I completely agree. It's it's like you are um, who you hang out with. Oh yeah, and and it's and it's it starts external. It's um and this is this is this at least from a teaching point from or a thought that that helped me. Obviously, the external support system is incredibly useful and needed early. Right. But then it's crazy too when you truly make the decision and you create that accountability within yourself within the group. Mm-hmm. You become internally accountable and committed after a while where it's like yeah i needed i needed that support system and then it's important to know at the same time that once it's like it's like you you go you do your hour cardio a day no matter what rain or shine with with someone or without someone yeah now i just do it it's Mm -hmm. like training wheels you know what i mean you rely on the training wheels to keep you balanced eventually you're not going to need them anymore you take the training wheels off you can ride the bike Mm -hmm. no one wants to be 30 years old still riding with training wheels you know what i mean so it's not cool unless you wear training wheels. It's not cool, man. So you're not cool unless you got training wheels on. Yeah, you're not cool unless you pee your pants. Anyway, I love it. I love. It. Hey, you knew my reference. Yay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> if peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. Miles Davis. <laughs> All right, that's perfect. So you're so you, the main tool that you would recommend is accountability. Find that accountability yeah. group. Find the individual. Um, find ALG. Find, find, find ALG. this group. And uh, we got some special things coming there for, for yeah. anyone uh, that's, that's craving an accountable group that doesn't feel that they're around something and they don't know yeah. where to start. Um, we, we're onto something. We got, we got yeah. something special coming out in the future. And uh, I'll just jab we're at it there. definitely building that. Yeah, we're, we're building something special there. And so, um, but John, I appreciate you telling, um, obviously, your story. Yeah. Um, telling some of the biggest teaching points and sharing some of your, some of your knowledge on some tools that kind of help implement to create accountability, create that change. Um, any last minute questions, comments, observations you would like to share before we end this uh, podcast episode? Um, you know, if there's just one thing that I could say uh, to kind of put a bow on all this is that um, anything you want in life, big, small, anything you can have, it just comes down to how, how willing you are to do anything to get it. And that's literally accountability. So mm-hmm. stay accountable to the things you want, stay accountable to your actions and everything you want will come to you. So thank you guys for joining us today. It's been a pleasure telling my story, David, you are a hell of a host and uh, Aww, uh, we'll talk shook. to you all next time. Love you guys. Thanks guys. <laughs>